Good morning, City Life and City Lifers and visitors. Good morning. Welcome to another Sunday. It's my honor and my pleasure to, like, like honestly, it's my honor to come and bring our word for us again this week. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Pedro Reese, and I am the lead pastor here at City Life. And uh, really quick, we don't have much time today, but um, if you are new, if you have been coming online for a little bit, or if you're just checking us out for the first time, below in the notes section of this page, there's a I'm new button. And uh, I want to ask you to click on it today. Click on it and submit a form. Like, let me know, let us know that you're here. We want to reach out. Like, living life together is what we are called to do as a church. And so, let us know that you're here. Let me reach out. I'll personally reach out this, this week if you hit us up this week. Uh, so, that's why we're here. That's what we love to do. That's what we're called to do. And so, um, allow us to do that. We want to get to know you. We want to go get a cup of coffee with you. And so today, uh, we got to jump right on in because we have a lot to do. Today is quite an ambitious Sunday. And I want to start, I want to get the juices in our minds flowing. I want to get the engines pumping by reading this story. Apparently, this story, I had originally, when I first heard this, it was in a sermon that I heard years and years ago. Uh, but in like looking it up for this week, apparently it's like one of these stories that has a lot of different versions and is kind of like a uh, like an allegorical story that a lot of people have a lot of different versions for. But this is the one that I heard, and so this is what I want to share. It's called The Inquisitive Girl, and it says this. A young girl was watching her mother bake a ham for a family gathering and noticed her mom cutting off the ends before placing it in the oven. Mom, why do you cut the ends off before baking the ham? She asked. Hmm... I think it helps soak up the juices while it's baking. I'm not sure though. That's just the way my grandma always did it. So I've always just cut them off. Why don't you call grandma and ask her? So the little girl phoned her grandma and asked, and asked, Grandma, mom is making a ham and cut off the ends before placing it in the oven. She said that it's probably to help soak up the juices but wasn't sure. She said you'd know because she learned how to cook from you. That's true. I do cut off the ends before, of the ham before baking, but I'm not sure why either. I learned how to cook from my mom. You should ask her. So the inquisitive girl called her grandmother, great-grandmother and asked, Great-grandma, mom and grandma said they learned how to cook a ham from watching you. Do you cut off the ends of the, of the ham to help it soak up the juices? The great-grandmother chuckled. Oh no, sweetie, I just never had a pan big enough to hold a whole ham. So I always cut the ends off of the end to make it fit. Now, I like this story and it's meaningful to me for a number of reasons. A lesser reason of why I share it today is just because like, it feels really human, right? It's like such a good story, at, like, really just like describing what we do. Like how we have all of these recipes, all of these like rules and assumptions that we make from watching others or like not knowing the real truth. And we build all these things like the Pharisees. Like we've talked many weeks now about the Pharisees that built all of this, this maze around God's law and then they got lost in it. And it's like this is like a, like a cute version of like showing us that. This is such a human story. 
Like so many times in life, all of our assumptions, everything that we build up, it's like really not built on anything. And like when life rattles us, that's why we get shaken. But the real reason, the more important reason why I wanted to share this story was because I love how like this little girl goes after this and just like redefines what baking a ham looks like for her family. Like not only in this story will generations of her family get a whole ham from now on, right? No more will there be this like wasteful cutting of ham just because the great grandmother couldn't have, didn't have a pan big enough for the whole thing. So like that, like just set that aside though, that's true. But like at times it's like super important. God like comes into our lives and redefines all the things that we knew, what we used to live on. He like takes our foundations, he takes these old recipes and he like redefines them and gives everything new meaning. Just like this girl, like from now on can cook a whole ham without cutting off the ends. Like God comes into our lives and redefines everything that we're doing. Like even if it's a good thing or even if it's the right thing to do, like it like has new meaning and from that point on everything is different. And so like today, I'm here to talk about how Jesus brought his disciples to a table, to a meal, and in that meal just redefined every part of life. Like today's sermon is ambitious in that there's no part of life that does, does not touch. That 2,000 years ago, Jesus brought his disciples to a meal. Jesus hosted a meal that redefined everything and showed us that the truth of life, the truth of everything is that all of this has been about him. It's been pointed to him. It's been for him. It's built on him. Every promise that you've ever given, every good promise you've ever been given, every like good dream, every glimpse of a better day, like of a new humanity, of a new healed creation, of like this life of no more tears, like every glimpse of everything good that humanity has ever had needs to be redefined to look at Jesus. Jesus took his disciples to this one meal and changed everything, gave us a hope that will never end. And so today, like I'm here to say that all of this, all of life, the cosmos, the universe, all of creation, your whole life, every experience has been like for you to know your maker, Jesus. And so today we continue into our open table series where we're looking at the times in Luke where Jesus went to the table with people, but today is unlike the other meals because he is the host and the builder of this table that he had prepared for them for an eternity. And so I want to pray. I want to pray because we're about to read God's word and that's a holy moment. I want to pray that the Holy Spirit be with us like in the recording and then when you hear it and it's more especially when like you take it out and you go in your week and you like try to redefine all of your life around the central meaning of to know your maker to know Jesus, our Savior, our spotless, innocent Lamb. And so let me pray. We're going to be in Luke chapter 22 today, but let me pray for us first. Jesus, I thank you for this day. And I ask that you be with me right now. 
be with the reading of your word and the preaching of your word and then with all of us to digest your word and like holy spirit do something powerful that will do what you intended to do at this meal redefine all of life under you jesus all of this was made by you and for you you hold it all up and it's for your glory and so like let that be the word that resounds today let all of us leave here with a better sense of like this is all about jesus and so teach us and train us how to do that jesus we love you we thank you and i pray all of this in jesus's name amen amen so church today we're going to be in luke chapter 22 starting in verse 14 and we're going all the way up to verse 30. And so this is the word of the Lord. This is what God says. It says this, And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourself, among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, and after they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. And behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes at it as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it would be, who was going to do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, one who reclines at table, or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as the Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. And let's jump right on in with the Passover host. Typically, after I read the scripture, we have a little catch-up, right? But actually, today, it gets its own graphic, which is special. We are calling it the Passover host. But to just continue the story from last week a little bit, like Jesus continues to do all of the Jesus-y things. Like, he continues to do all of these things that are amazing and shocking and scandalous all the time. Luke's story progresses, and we're getting closer and closer to the cross. Jesus uh, makes his triumphal entry already before this story, like he's already done that, like getting the Messiah juices pumping in Jerusalem in the most important weekend of the year. Uh, he cries over Jerusalem, like our Savior cries, he, like cries, he laments over what he sees. 
he turns over tables at the temple, curses some people out like wild man Jesus. Remember that Jesus isn't just the peaceful Sunday school version, but he's like wild. He's like untamable. We can never put him on the palms of our hands because he's so much greater than all of us, like so much greater than all of this. Like, he cannot be contained. And he like, he continues to tell parables. He continues to teach. He continues to be merciful and gracious to people around him. And then earlier in this chapter, we see Jesus do like an all-time Jesus-y thing. He turns to Peter and he turns to John and he says, go prepare a Passover meal for us. And they ask him a great question, like, very easy question. In verse 9 of, the same, of, 22, of Luke 22, he says, uh, where, will, where will you have us prepare it? Right? Pretty legitimate question. It's like, hey, Jesus, uh, remember, we're like still kind of homeless. We're still, no one owns a home here. Where are we going to do this? You want us to do this? Sure. Where, where are we going to do this? And Jesus like, gives, like, we just have to pause and look at this because this is perhaps the most Jesus-y answer of all. They ask a simple question, and Jesus gives them this. In verse, uh, Jesus responds later on. He says, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters, and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat my Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it. I'm like, okay, like Jesus... <laughs> Like, I know we've been with you for a while now, but like, we're just asking you where you want this to do. And you tell, oh, go into the city. And there's going to be a man with a jar. He just somehow knows this. Like, this is the part of his divinity, the part of his insight, the part of the Holy Spirit. Like, this is like God stuff, right? He's like, there's going to be a man holding a jar and just follow him and then tell the master uh, that I'm going to need it. And it'll be, it'll happen. And that happens. But I'm like, oh, like, I just want to point out, if I ever led Ryan as my staff member, like, if I ever led the oversight team like this, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have a job for very long. But, like, Jesus doing Jesus-y thing all the times, and he does this, and, he, and it happens, and it, this, like, all happens this way. But this time, it's, like, special. It's different. Jesus isn't just preparing another meal, but this is, like, the meal of meals. This is a meal that will redefine everything about life from this point on. Like Jesus is taking the Passover week, the Holy Week. In Jerusalem, during the Passover, people from all around the world who knew God would come back to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was like four times as many people during the Holy Week as any other time in the year because like this was special. This was their Super Bowl, which is a bad metaphor, but like, one that I say often like this, the Passover week was their Super Bowl. And Jesus was going to take this and he was going to freshen it up. He's going to redefine it. He's going to like open up all of creation's eyes as to like what God has been doing all along. That all of this, all of life has been pointing to him. And now the moment came. And so like what's the Passover? We cannot understand what Jesus did on the cross if we don't have a working understanding of the, the Passover. And so this is like really quick. This is the story of the Passover. Back in the, early of the, in the beginning of the story of God's story, his people, the Hebrew people, had become slaves in Egypt. 
right? He calls Moses, he, he takes his Moses out of the desert of Midian and he like calls him, go and free my people. And then over the course of plague after plague after plague, like Pharaoh continues to say no, but like God is unrelenting in his desire. Now my people have to go free. Like I'm con- going to continue my story. I'm bringing them back to the promised land. And then we come to Exodus 12. Exodus 12, one of the most defining moments in God's story. Like it's time in Exodus 12 for God to take his final strike against Pharaoh and against Egypt. Because Pharaoh would not listen. He would not let his people go. And God like reserved the worst plague for last. And quick side note here, if you're familiar with the story, like let me just say that at times in the hands of a holy, benevolent, good, righteous, just God, things that we think may be evil, like it could be part of his judgment. And so never think you have God all figured out. But then this is what the story, this is what God said he'll do for Israel. He tells them very specific instructions. This is what he says. He says, every household that belongs to me, right, all of my people, all of the Hebrew people, take a year-old male lamb who has no blemishes, whose like skin is pure, has no spots, it has no like imperfections, a pure young male lamb with no blemishes. And he told them each, like each household, kill it and take its blood, roast it, don't boil it. He said, don't boil it and don't eat it raw. Roast it on the fire. Eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs and some wine. And he says, eat it while you're like, he even got so specific. He's like, eat it while you wear a fastened belt, sandals on your feet and a staff in your hand, like looking like shepherds. And he says, if anything is left over in the morning, burn it. Like, don't eat it. Don't save it. Burn it. Burn it all. Like, just eat it that night. And if anything comes up, burn it. And do this on the 14th of that month. And then he says, this is the, like, this is the beauty, the, the good part. He says, take the blood from that lamb and put it on your doorsteps. Put it on your doors. Put it on the posts of your doors. Because this is what is going to happen. In Exodus 12, verse 12 to 14, God says this. He says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute my judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall befall you uh, to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations and statutes forever, you shall keep it as a feast. And so this is the Passover meal. This is what the Passover is. This is like the whole big deal about the Passover is that God was going to come to Egypt and kill all the firstborns of every person and every animal. Like, oh, scary. Like, oh, like, God, you would do that? Like, God, you can do that justly and righteously. It was like, yeah, like, God can do that. But he also made a way for the people who belonged to him, for the people whose hearts weren't hardened against them, for the people who, like, lived for him, his special people. 
It's like, take this lamb and kill it, this perfect lamb who has done nothing, who has no blemishes. Like, take it and kill it, but put its blood on your door and I'll pass over you and I won't kill you. Like, the Passover is that God made a way for his judgment to pass over his people. And in that light, like, the blood of an innocent lamb covered them and they experienced no loss. Death did not touch them. And so this is like what Jesus is doing. This is the backdrop of everything, of this Passover meal, of this meal that is central to hum- like all of existence. I keep on saying human existence, but it's like even beyond just humanity, all of creation. Like it's all led up to this moment and this meal, this Passover meal becomes this like, I'm borrowing from the MCU, Marvel. If you've watched the show, What If? There's an episode with Doctor Strange where he is obsessed with changing this point in time that they call it an ultimate point, right? He wants to save the woman that he loves, but he can't because it's an ultimate point. And so like this, like to take it into the Bible, this is like the ultimate point for creation. This meal that Jesus takes his disciples, that he hosts with the cross, and with the resurrection become this ultimate point that everything before it has been pointing to this meal and everything since has been looking back to be looking back to make sense of all of this as we wait for him to come back like it's like that important everything led up to this moment and since then everything looks back to what Jesus did at this meal what he gave us this covenant and then how he solidified it on the cross and then in his resurrection And so like it's like not a hyperbole to say that this meal changes everything about who you are, your life, your eternal destination. Like this is the meal that we want to point people back to all the time. And so in our open table series, like this is the meal that every meal has been pointing to. And so like let's talk about it a little bit. Like the first thing that we need to break down here is a new meal and covenant. Verses 14 to 23 give us this meal. Share like this unique glimpse of the Lord's Supper. Like the Luke account of it. What stood out to Luke? What like the Holy Spirit put on Luke's heart to tell the whole world about this meal that changed everything. It redefined everything. And so after John and Peter go and they set up this meal, they get everything ready. They were they reclining at the table with Jesus. Jesus goes to this table with his disciples. They're called apostles here. And like he's like sharing this intimate and beautiful moment, like the, like the height of all of what creation saw, like found in this moment. And like I cannot imagine, I know that they, the disciples could not, like they could not know what they were stepping into when they came to this meal. Like, they had been with Jesus for years. They, at this point, heard him, like, say he's going to die three times already. But, like, they could not understand, as we will talk about in a few minutes, like, they could not understand what they were stepping into because who would ever, like, think, oh, this meal is going to change everything about every soul's life. This is going to change eternity for the whole entire universe from this point on. Like, the first thing I want to highlight is verse 15. Verse 15, like, Jesus longed for this meal. He says this. He himself says this. I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Like, like, let's just like pause there for a minute. Like Jesus had been waiting 
in our language billions and millions of years for this meal and it was finally here like just like put yourself in Jesus's shoes for a second Genesis 1 says that God was hovering over the deep waters before anything was made it was formless and void and he's just he like just sat there perfectly in himself the Trinity existing perfectly unchanged and then like from that moment after and then they started creating and all of human history all of the world's history it led to this one moment and Jesus like he's like I just have waited so long to give you this meal like I waited all of these years for this meal and it's finally here like just imagine like what heaven must have been like in this moment of anticipation like we have waited so long and they're at the table. Wow, getting emotional. I'm like, they're at the table that they had waited to see for so long. Think about like the Father and the Spirit. Think about the angels like, just watching and like seeing what was happening. Jesus was finally at the table where everything was going to change. Wow. It's like part of preaching is to always is to try and make things relatable. Like, what does that say to you? What does that say to me? But I want this moment to be like so unrelatable because it was such a pinnacle moment of all of creation. Like we cannot really relate to what happened here because like everything changed at this point. Like everything changed from this meal to the cross and then to the resurrection. Everything is different. We are all totally different people. Like we have access to the kingdom like never before. Like no one ever did before this meal. Like, wow, like we get to live in God's promises even like today. And it's incredible. And then Jesus sets up this meal. Remember, he's the host of this meal. No one is sharing the responsibilities of this meal with Jesus. It is only his. And he has set it up perfectly to match the Passover. Like he is, remember, he's redefining the Passover. The Passover in Exodus 12 pointed to what Jesus was doing right here. And every element is still here. The lamb, the bread, the wine, and the bitter. They're all, like all present here. The lamb, the pure and spotless, innocent, sinless lamb was there. Jesus, like Jesus, the perfect sacrifice that none of us could do or offer. He was there. The bread, which was his body, that like he was willingly going to get broken for you and for me to pay because like sin needs to be paid with blood and Jesus offers his own body and his own body. The bread was there and it was his body so that we could get the blood, which is the wine. Right? Jesus takes the cup here and says, this is like the sign of my, my blood is the sign of this new covenant for you. This new covenant that the lamb offers so that the death of this perfect lamb can make sure that our deaths in the future like are accounted for so that we could have the resurrection with Jesus. And even the bitter was there, right? Because Jesus, right after this, like goes to pray at Gethsemane. Like he knows that his suffering is coming. The bitter was there too. But like I like I want to say here that the real meaning of the Passover is redefined in Jesus because. Jesus is the lamb that none of us could be, and he is this perfect spotless lamb. And so, like, when you hear, if you're, like, not a believer, and you hear people talking about Jesus all the time, it's because 
His sacrifice changed everything. His sacrifice is this invitation for all of us to live in His kingdom, in His new covenant that He offers. That our perfect, sinless Savior came and like shed His whole body for us to give us this new covenant where we could live in a way where death will not touch us in the end. And here he's redefining the Passover. He's saying, you know what, for centuries, God was preparing his people to know what the real Passover was. Like he gave them Exodus 12 to like get it into our minds and into our hearts, even for us to read his story that this like Passover blood was coming. It's coming and it was coming and it's found in the person of Jesus. And so this meal becomes the center of all of like human existence. This with the cross and with the resurrection, it becomes what defines all of creation, all of our lives. Like everything was made for this moment. And after this moment, we all look back to that cross, to that table. That table is where he invited us into his death and resurrection. And so this is like one of the most beautiful moments that has ever existed. Like Jesus here, like let me just say, he like his invitation to you today, whether you are already a believer or not, is like to like come and like accept my new covenant, accept that my death will make sure that all your sins are paid for, make sure that death will not touch you forever, that like God can raise you up from the dead and live in his kingdom and be with him where he lives and rules for all of eternity. Like, ugh. I want to say yes to that invitation. And so like at the same time, this meal is the height of anything that has ever taken place and the sweetest, most beautiful invitation. But then something very silly happens, like a beautiful moment is touched by humanity and we like do something very silly with it. And let's talk about upside down greatness. I know uh, we're up against the clock here, but I, I didn't want to get out of today's sermon without at least talking about this for a few minutes. Right after this, at the very end, oh, also I forgot to say this in the last point, like even Jesus, even his betrayer is there. Even his betrayer has an honest invitation. He does not take him up on it, but it's there, and it's there for him. Like Judas is there at the table, the one who will betray him, and Jesus talks about him here. But then like they start arguing, and I can just like see this happening because I was a kid, and because I have kids now. It's like I can just see how this happens. I can see how the disciples, the apostles, as they're being called right now, like I see how this devolves. It's like you know, where Jesus is like, one of you will betray me. And then they start arguing, no, I'm not going to betray you. You know, actually, I'm one of the greatest ones here. Like I can even just see that happening. They take this high holy moment, like what all of creation has been pointing towards for forever. And they're like, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be, I'm actually like, I'm not going to betray Jesus because I'm actually, I should be remembered as the best one here, right guys? Like it should like really be about me as well. I'm going to like, I'm really one of the better ones of us. So yeah, like they start arguing about that. And they just like start arguing about who's actually going to be the greatest, who's going to be remembered. And Jesus's response is so Jesus-y. It's like so part of this upside down kingdom that we've been talking about. It is so like 
built on this economy of generosity, which we've talked about for a few weeks. He's like, you know what? Greatness in the kingdom is service, not being served. Like, you guys are so concerned with being the best, the highest. Like, you know what? Real greatness is in my kingdom where I rule. It's being the one who serves, not the one who reclines. And in verse 26, he's like talking about this, like who's greater, the one who reclines or the one who's serving? Because we all know, like we want to say our, like our Sunday school answers and what we want to believe is what Jesus says, right? But our hearts all the time show us that we are just still so seduced with being served. But the kingdom works differently. In verse 26, he says this, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. It's like part of this Passover meal that redefines all of life back to Jesus is also part of it is used to like say, you know what, like if you want to be great in the kingdom, that's great, serve. Like don't, don't kill any notion. Like it's good to want to be great in the kingdom. You do that by serving, honest service with a pure heart. Like serve, yeah, that's great. Like serve the kingdom. It's better to give than it is to receive. The kingdom is built on that, even though that is like no part of what comes natural, no part of what we want to accept. That's what the kingdom of God is built on. It's built on service. And we see that in the Passover meal because Jesus is the host and he's also the one serving the food. Like in the kingdom, those who are great are the ones who serve. Those who want to honor the covenant that we've been given are those who serve. And so we like have to be people who go out who go out and take our call to serve the city wisely, honestly, like without end, serve. Let's serve Jersey City. Let's serve our neighbors, our coworkers, our bosses. Like, let's serve the city. Let's be great in the kingdom and serve. In verse 27, like one of the last words that Jesus shares before the cross for his resurrection at the table. Like one of the last things he says at the table, our whole sermon series has been looking at the table to see what Jesus says. And one of the last things that he says at the table before his death and resurrection comes is in verse 27, where he says, but I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus our Savior served us even to death, and His death gives us life. And so let's conclude this a little bit more. Today we began the sermon talking about that story about the inquisitive girl and how she was able to end generations worth of needless ham cutting. Right From that point on in her family line, that point on in her lineage, there was no more wasted ham when they were cooking a whole ham. And then for today in our sermons, like oh, Jesus took the Passover meal that was already beautiful and great and saved God's people. And he used it to redefine all of living, saying, you know what? All of this is about me. It's about what I am going to do for you on the cross and in my resurrection, the life that I'm able to offer you. Like, oh, like this meal, the Lord's Supper. It's like one of 
that and baptism is like the thing, the last things that we still do, like that's in the Christian faith to do these things and to perpetuate them because they lead us into remembrance and life and remind us that like, oh, like one day the death of our perfect lamb will make me come back to life when I'm dead. All of life is found in Jesus. And because of also their discussion about who was greatest, like, let me say, all of life is about Jesus. Everything points to Jesus, and that's a good thing. You know why? Because Jesus always serves us perfectly. Like, Jesus is, like, so in love with his, with his bride, as we're going to see in a couple of weeks. And, like, pouring everything into him is exactly where it should be because you only find yourself when you're in him. And so, like, Thank God that at the Passover meal, he redefines everything under him. Ephesians says that like before the foundations of the earth were set, God made this plan for us to be with him. Colossians says that he is preeminent, that everything is made for him and by him and for him and for his glory. And the Passover meal, like this table shows us that like ah, because of that, he holds life for us. And so he is my Savior. He is the church's Savior because uh, he is the Passover lamb that none of us could be. And so church, like, I don't even know how to ask you to respond today to this. Jesus is your Passover lamb. If you, like, don't have faith in Jesus yet, if you're not a believer, reach out to me. Like, get in touch with me and I will walk this with you. I'll, like, I will talk and we'll set up how we can support your journey to know more about Christ to make this decision Email me at preese at citylifeandj.com. Get in touch with the church. Like, we want to walk out this journey. And if you're already a believer, like, oh, like this week, spend time thinking about, like, Lord, thank you for this meal. Thank you that you hosted this meal and you changed all of eternity. You changed literally all of my eternity at this table. I accept your invitation. So, church, we love you. Sorry, the end was a little rushed, but we're already like pretty late into this. Um, I love you. We'll see each other. We have MCs this week. We'll be here next Sunday, and um, we'll see you very soon. I forgot to mention really quick, uh, we are still working on the date to have with Brian, the, the oversight team, Brian, who is the CFO of the district, and with the finance team to ask any questions. Sorry for the delay, but we're still working on when that can happen. And we'll email that all out as soon as we can. All right. Love you all. See you soon.